0: This morning to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. Just let you find that for a moment, and uh, I'll tell you which verse in a second or two. John's Gospel, chapter 4, and we'll read together verse 35. Now, these were the words of Jesus. Do you not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Do you not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes, look at the fields. For they are already white for harvest. Now these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples are some of the most encouraging, promising, and inspiring words regarding soul winning that Jesus ever spoke. Now somehow we imagine that the time for winning the lost is not at this moment. Not just now people aren't ready to hear. Or this place is too hard. Or this town or village or city is too churchy, too religious. And so Jesus cuts across all of those arguments and declares that the fields are white, already ready to harvest. Or regardless of what we think or how we feel or what we perceive to be, Jesus who knows the hearts of all men, declares that the fields are white or ready to harvest. Now the occasion for saying this to his disciples is that familiar story where Jesus was speaking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well of Sychar. Now because most believers are familiar with the story, uh, let me just briefly say and remind you that Jesus had a divine appointment with this woman. And he quite deliberately, consciously, uh, went directly into Samaria. Now, no self-respecting Jew would have any dealings with any Samaritan, man or woman, for any reason. And in fact, if they were going to go from Judea to Galilee, which is in the north, Judea is in the south, Samaria in between, they would take a detour, they would cross the Jordan River, they'd go up that flank, other than they'd go way out of their way, miles and miles out of their way, other than they even set foot in Samaria. But Jesus had a divine appointment with this particular woman. And even though he was a Jew, he did not allow all of those religious and racial differences between the Jews and Samaritans. And there was many, such bad blood between these people for years. But he would not allow any of that to stop him going to win this one precious soul. Of course, we know that Jesus was no ordinary Jew. Certainly, he was no ordinary man. And so, none of their traditions, none of their prejudices, none of their bigotries or anything like that would prevent him from going to win this one lost soul. And so... At the well, he engaged this woman in conversation. And this would prove to be a life-changing moment for her and a great lesson for us. Now, even though this woman had been married five times, and even though the, woman, the man that she was living with at this particular time when Jesus met her was not her husband, yet if you read the story, Jesus treated her with the utmost respect and common decency. And after conversing with her uh, for a little while, he then suddenly revealed to her supernaturally. He looked right into her life and he told her all about her past and about her present lifestyle. Now this woman was absolutely astounded. And she declared, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now you must understand that part of the beliefs of the Samaritans, that they just believed the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. They did not believe in the writings of the Psalms or the prophets. So for this woman, in spite of all the way she had been brought up to believe, in spite of all of her theology which was mixed up and it was a mixture of paganism and Judaism and all the rest of it in spite of all the error that she believed something in this woman recognized and said sir you are a prophet and so then they went on to discuss such things as where to worship Now, this was a big argument and debating point among the Jews and Samaritans for years the Samaritans said, Mount Gerizim, that's the place to worship. That's our center of worship. The Jews naturally said, no, Jerusalem, that's the place to worship. That's our center of worship. And so recognizing him as a prophet, surely he would be able to answer such a question. And so she says, well, where is the place to worship? Our fathers say here, you say there. And Jesus, very smartly and very quickly, began to show her that, it's not really the where of worship, it is the who and the how that's important. The Mount Gerizim certainly wasn't be the place where God would be worshipped, certainly not correctly or rightly, and Jerusalem where the temple was, well, the temple wouldn't always be there. In fact, Jesus prophesied later on that it was, would not one stone would be left upon another in AD 70. Titus the Roman came in and absolutely destroyed it. So, Jesus was quick to point out it's not the where that's important, it's the how and the who. He said, The day will come, then those who worship the Father, there's the who, shall worship in spirit and in truth, there's the how. And then she said, Well, when Messiah comes, when the anointed one comes, when the Christ comes, when he comes, he'll be able to tell me everything. And then Jesus said something remarkable. He had never actually said this with his own lips before. He said, I who speak unto you am he. Do you realize that was the first time that Jesus ever fully, plainly declared himself to be Messiah Messiah? the son of the blessed. First time. And to a woman, and to a Samaritan woman, no less. What a great privilege she had. Now, of course, remember that Peter, and how that he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus' flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. But that was Peter saying it. Later on, when Jesus stood before Caiaphas, high priest, how that he said, are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Very plainly. But this here is the very first time he actually said those words clearly. I am he. At this moment, she in her heart fully believed and fully trusted that she was speaking to The Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Blessed One. In our terminology, could I put it this way, this is the moment she gets saved. This is the moment she went from death to life. This is the moment, in our terminology, whenever she became saved. And it's from here on I want us to focus our attention on the story. And so I want you to come with me to verse 27. Having discussed all of these things and having declared who he was and having received who he was, verse 27, at this point, the disciples came. Now, where were they? Well, verse 8 would tell us whenever they came into the town, that they went into, whenever they came to the well, they went into the town uh, to buy food, to buy bread because they were hungry. And so, then they come back again, just as this discussion was ensuing. So at this point, the disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Now you see, a rabbi was not permitted if he met a woman outside. Even his mother or his sister was not permitted to speak to her outside. So they marveled. That he talked with a woman and a Samaritan woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? They knew this much about Jesus. They knew that whatever he was saying, whatever the conversation was, it would not be inappropriate. Certainly nothing improper would be going on. They knew that much about him. They trusted him that much. But they marveled, they wondered what's going on here? This is highly unusual, very unorthodox in their thinking. Then notice it says, the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Could not this be the Christ? Or could this be the Christ? Now, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, could this be the Christ, the AV, the authorized version, the old King James, is much more emphatic. Is this not the Christ? She's absolutely convinced who it was. Now, notice here that she left her water pot. This woman went from being a soul won for Christ to being a soul winner for Christ immediately. Right away, within moments of being one to Christ, she now to be a soul winner for Christ, and she left her water pot. She left that which was important, and it was important. That was her job as it were. Woman in those days, part of their function at the home was a homemaker, was to go every day and go and get the water, Now, it was a tough job. And most women would go either early in the morning before the sun really got up to the height or late in the evening the sun was setting. That would be the cooler times of the day. This woman had gone at the 6th hour midday because she wanted to avoid the wagging tongues. And it was a tough job. But she left that which was important to do that which was essential. She left that which was valid to do that which was absolutely vital. She left the good to do the best. Would we do that? Now, of course, she went back to her water pot later on. She had duties. She had a function. She had a purpose. But at this moment, her heart was bursting. She just had to tell somebody. She had met the Christ he had revealed her life to her. And in that passion that she felt now, she had to tell somebody. And so it didn't matter at that moment about the water pot. She had to go out and share Christ with somebody. I wish we had a passion like that. I wish we were as quick to leave the important to do the essential. I wish we were as quick to leave the good and do the best. But she did it. Then she said, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Here she is. Again, using our terminology, just saved. Hasn't got much theology. But the one thing she had was the most important thing. She knew this was the Christ. She recognized Jesus as the Son of God. She recognized that. And when you're just a new believer, you haven't got all your theology together. You mightn't know many scriptures. Oh, you will later, but right now you mightn't know many scriptures. But if you know that Jesus is the Son of God... (laughs) That's a great thing to share with somebody. And that he has made such a difference in your life. That's what you need to share. And that's what this woman was about to do. This encounter with Christ. Come see a man that told me all things. Whatever I did, is not this the Christ? In Verse 30, it says, Then they went out of the city, And they came to him. Our job is to go tell. That's our job. To go tell. That's our mandate. To go tell. What's our message? Come see. Come see. Let me show you what I experienced. Come see. Let me introduce you to Jesus. The son of God. Come see. It's all she had. It's all she had. She just suddenly knew Christ and she wanted everybody to know him. She says, come see. I'll take you to him. I'll introduce you to him. Simple, isn't it? We overly complicate things, don't we? Come see. And so, these Samaritans haven't heard the woman's story and her testimony, thought to themselves boy we've got to meet this man there's something special there's something different about this man this Jew is different than any we have ever known and so they went out of the city and they came to him let's keep centered on the man Christ Jesus Let's keep centered on Jesus. You know, when you meet people, you've got to talk to them. And there's some people who will have all kinds of questions. And, and, and often they're just a smokescreen. But other times they're genuine. And where you can, when you can, you try to answer those questions. But let's, in the midst of all of the questioning, let's keep focused on the man, Christ Jesus. Let's bring them back to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, they'll ask you a million questions. But at the end of the day, they've got to come to Christ. They've got to deal with him. He's got to deal with them. So let's bring them to Jesus. That's the most important thing that you've got. I want you to notice here the hunger that was in Christ's heart. In the meantime, verse 31, the disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have a food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore his disciples said one to another, Has anyone brought them anything to eat? A wee bit dull here, weren't they? A wee bit slow off the mark. Of course, we wouldn't be like that because we are spiritually super people, aren't we? We're not slow. Sure, we're not. Not half. (laughs) Their bellies were rumbling. Excuse me, sir, being blunt about that. They were hungry. All they were thinking about was Food was bread. Isn't it interesting that all of Christ's disciples, all of them went into the same town, probably met the same men this woman met, and not one of them told him about Jesus. Not one of them. Not one of them told him about the bread of life. <laughs> not one of them they probably thought, it's not time. They wouldn't listen anyway. I mean, after all, they've got their own religion, and they're steeped in it. They've been brought up in it since they're children. And he's a Jew, and they're Samaritans. It's amazing all the excuses we have, isn't it, when it comes to that. We make all kinds of excuses, don't we? I've even had Christians say to me when it comes to witnessing, well, I, I, I just don't feel I'm called to do that. Really. So you are exempt from the Great Commission. You must be the only one in the whole world that's a believer that's exempt from the Great Commission. Because as far as I know, it's for every single believer without exception. You may say, well, I'm too afraid. Get over it. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, Paul said to Timothy, but a power and love and a sound mind. Get over it. Share. Tell them. What have you got to lose? They might reject it. Well, that's their problem, not yours. Your job is to go tell. If they reject, that's between them and the Lord. We take everything very personally, don't we? Provided, of course, that you're doing it in a mannerly way. <laughs> There's a cartoon one time in the paper and it was, it was the crusaders. They had his big lance on a horse and a big shield with a cross on it. And this poor wee man, he had the lance at his throat, and the wee one was saying, Yes, I really am interested in that Christianity. <laughs> he was threatened. Well, we don't want to threaten people, but we can approach people and we can tell them in a nice way. And if they reject, that's their problem, it's not ours. Somebody else may say, well, I just just lived the life before them. Good. That's great. You ought to do that. Jesus did that. But he also talked, didn't he? He shared. Living the life before somebody gives you the right to be able to share. If you're not living the life before them, keep your trap shut because they just think you're a hypocrite. You'll do more harm than good. But if you are living a life if you're walking the walk as well as talking the talk, then you can have the right to say. And somebody says, well, Christianity is a, is a very, it's a very uh, private thing. No, it isn't. It's personal. It's not private. It's personal to you. But it's not private. It's for giving away. It's for sharing. It's the best news that the world will ever hear. Then you may say, well, I wouldn't know what to say. Find out. I wouldn't know what to say. Find out what to say. Isn't it amazing why a mother's ears can pick up when they hear a baby? Isn't that amazing, isn't it? I was watching a program the other night about penguins. And it says there were like five million penguins, and the mother penguin has to pick out of all those five millions the cry of its little baby penguin. It can do it. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, how did I get onto that? Right. <laughs> Forget about penguins. I wouldn't know what to say. Learn what to say. Most of you used to not know how to drive a car. But you learned, didn't you? You didn't know what a traffic sign was, but you read your highway code and you learned to drive your car. Learn what to say. Get a few scriptures. Memorize them. Or mark them in your little New Testament or something. You just need a few. You're not going to preach to Sunday old sermon. You're not going to bamboozle them with the scriptures. But just a few is all you need. Show them Christ. Learn what to say. And then you're ready if somebody asks. And then Jesus said... Do you not say, there are still four months, then comes the harvest? Now, I I, I can imagine at this point, Jesus standing at the well. The woman's way into the town. She's sharing the message. She's giving her testimony. And imagine them standing, talking, and Jesus is sharing his passion with them. But winning souls. And he's looking out and I'm quite sure that there are probably barley fields or wheat fields all around. It's an agricultural area. So he's looking all around and he's pointing to them. He said, look, you see, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. And that was true in the natural. Four months for the, from seed time to harvest time. But I say unto you, look up, lift up your eyes, look onto the fields. They're white already to harvest. And as he was telling them to lift up their eyes and look onto the fields, I believe that's the very point where the men of the town were coming, walking out of the town across the fields. The harvest he was directing to was the harvest of souls. That was the harvest he saw. The harvest of souls. It's true in the natural that it took four months from seed time to harvest time. And it's true in the spiritual that oftentimes it takes quite a while from the seed is sown in the heart till there's a harvest. But sometimes, sometimes it's very, very fast. And this harvest that Jesus saw coming was happening very, very fast. Within one hour, within one hour, I was speaking to that woman and sowing the seed in her heart, within one hour, here comes a harvest. Boy, I wish it was like that all the time. It would be great, wouldn't it? And I can imagine, Jesus, if you'd me to paraphrase that, look, boys, come on, lift up your eyes. Look, there's the harvest coming. Look, it's coming right away. Immediately, it's coming. Let's join in the harvest. Wouldn't it be amazing at the end of this month if you invited somebody to come and they came, and the first night they came, they got saved? Would not be? Would not be amazing? You sowed the seed in their heart, and they came, and they got saved. Wouldn't it be even more amazing that that person who just got saved brought their friend the next night and they got saved? Wouldn't that be amazing too? Or a family member. Or the whole family. Wouldn't that be lovely? It can happen. And Jesus is showing us here that it can happen. There was those professional evangelists who went into the town and never shared Jesus. They probably allowed their own prejudices and excuses to stop them. But that wee woman, she just couldn't stop talking about it. She was gossiping the gospel, and that's the best way to do it, is gossip the gospel. Let's just talk about it. then in verse 36 and Jesus said and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life he who reaps receives wages there is a reward for winning a soul The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 talks about a soul winner's crown. Hmm. There is an eternal reward for winning a soul to Christ. It is so important to Jesus. His hunger in his heart to reach the lost, it's so important. He had to pay such a tremendous price For one single soul. He had to give his life on the cross and die the most horrible death imaginable just to win one lost person. No wonder he has such a passion for souls. And if you or I win one person to Christ, you can be absolutely sure there's going to be a reward for it. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. This sweet woman... She sowed. Jesus sowed into her life and immediately she sowed into the lives of others. And now the disciples were going to reap. They were going to reap. They were going to be the reapers. But she was a sower. And Jesus said the sowers and the reapers will rejoice together. The fact of it is, almost on every occasion, not quite, but almost on every occasion, when a person comes to Christ, the person who leads that person in the prayer to receive Christ, almost on every occasion, that reaper was not the sower. Somebody else who had sown. Somebody else who had done the praying. Somebody else who had shared the gospel. Somebody else who had give the tract. Somebody else who had word and season. Somebody else who had shared a little bit about Christianity and Jesus and the Son of God. and, and At the end of the line of that it might have been you sat down and prayed that prayer with that person. You might have been the reaper but you weren't the sower. And the wonderful thing is that the sores and the reapers will rejoice together. It's always the reapers gets all of the plaudits, don't they? You see the evangelist out there in the field and he's Hundreds of thousands and all these souls are getting saved and the evangelists, all the plaudits. But what about the person who brought them to the evangelistic campaign? What about the person who prayed for them? What about the person who invited them? What about the person who Heredia had spoken to them? Who are they? God knows. God knows. And so you may be the sower in a couple of weekends. You may be the one who shared and who invited and who talked and who prayed. Paul James may be the reaper, but the sowers and reapers will rejoice together. So I don't care who's the reaper or who's the sower as long as God gives the increase. That's the main thing, isn't it? And he will give the increase. And then it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Never, ever underestimate your personal testimony. Never underestimated. This woman had a significant influence upon all the men of that time. Because once she told them what she told them, their curiosity was aroused immediately. They had to meet this man. Who was this prophet that was able to read this woman's history? They got to know him. They've got to find out who he is. And they all came because of her personal testimony. a wonderful thing to share your personal testimony. You don't have to always go into all, but maybe just enough to say, listen, I was like you, and I had all those questions, and I had all those wonderings, but I came to Jesus and he completely changed my life. I've never been the same. That's your testimony. And that just may arouse curiosity. That may just be enough for somebody to come and say, well, I would like to find out more about this Jesus. Because your life has definitely changed if they know you particularly well. And especially if you had a colorful history in your past and they see such a change. They'll be interested. So they believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he told me all that I ever did. So, when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Huh. Imagine. Wouldn't you love to have been there? A two day master class with the master, because that's what it was. Now, it doesn't say he performed any miracles, maybe he did but they're not recorded here. But in those two days, you can be sure he would reveal to them what they needed to know, what was going to change their life, and what was going to save them. So he stayed with them two days and many more believed because of his own word. Holy Spirit doesn't tell us what he shared with them, but you can be sure it was absolute revelation to their eyes and ears. And so they listened to him for two days, and then they were absolutely convinced of who he was. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed not listen to this. This is amazing. These are Samaritans. This is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Hmm. What an affirmation. What a thing for a Samaritan to say. Unheard of. But those two days changed everything. That time would never be the same again. Those men would never be the same and their families and their extended families. You can be sure there would be a revival in that time. So many people were touched with the gospel. So many people had met Jesus and recognized him as the Savior of the world. What a wonderful thing to say. It started out with just Jesus reaching out to one single person. And then that one single person reaching out into her community. And then there's a whole revival going on. It starts with one person. It always starts with one person in a family. Just one person. May I start with one person in the office, one person in the classroom, one person in the street, one person. And then it spreads. If we spread it. If we share it. So who do we reach out to? Reach out to our family for a start, don't we? In John chapter 1. It says that Andrew... that first disciple, Andre. First thing he did was he found his brother, Peter. First thing he did was he found his brother, Peter. And then he told him they found the Messiah. And then he brought him to Jesus. No better person to speak to your family than you because if you have truly genuinely been born again and saved your life will show that and they will know it no better person to speak to them than you You say it's very hard tell me about it I've had to speak to all my family aunts and uncles and all the rest of them cousins But it's wonderful if they come to Christ. It's wonderful, even more wonderful, if you were the first one to tell them, if you were the one to show them. Andrew Peter. John 1 Philip finds Nathaniel, <clears throat> his good friend, Nathaniel. Reach out beyond your family to your friends. Nathanael was a bit of a thinker. I like to study the scriptures. Nathanael was the one you remember when, he, when, when Philip found him. It's interesting how Philip approached Nathanael. You know, he, he said, we found the one of whom the, the law and the prophets spoke of. Huh. Knowing that Nathanael was a thinker, knowing that he, that he would be studying up these things. Uh, Come and see, he says. Come and see. Come on, I'll, I'll, use the words, come and see. I'll, I'll you. Uh, you remember how whenever Nathanael got to Jesus, Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no guile. <laughs> he says, how do you know me? Jesus says, Before Philip saw you, I, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael was astounded. wonder what he was thinking under the fig tree. I hmm. wonder if he was he thinking about the law and the prophets and about Messiah who would come and who he would be and what he would be like. Nathaniel was astounded <laughs> and acknowledged him as Lord and Savior. Some of your friends are thinkers. Make them think a little bit more Make them think a little bit more. Give them something to really think about. What about your neighbours? Well, the story we just read about the woman at Sacker's Well, well, it was her neighbours, wasn't it? It's her community. What about our community? Our acquaintances, our work colleagues, our business associates, our people that we casually perhaps meet Once in a while. What about them? There's an opportunity, isn't it? How do we approach them? Well, everybody's different, you see. Jesus, whenever Nicodemus came to Jesus, and you know, he he said about Jesus, well, no man can do these things except... Well, well, you know, you're, you're different. You're just not an ordinary man. And I mean, he, he just, Nicodemus just said one sentence and Jesus immediately said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. <laughs> I mean, he just right in there, whoosh, cut to the chase immediately. Now, he didn't do that with everybody. But he did it with Nicodemus. And there's some people who's going to come to you and they'll be able to handle that. We had a young man at our, our men's uh, fellowship, the last one we had. And listen, men, see you didn't come. You missed a brilliant night, didn't you? And a great night, man. Young man on fire for God. Had no Christian upbringing, no Christian background, never went to church in his life. Started work as a young man, met a brethren man. And the first thing he told him is, he says, you're a lovely young man, but you're going to hell. <laughs> and he says, you know, that was the start of his journey. That one man tell him, I'm going to hell. He began to think. That started the journey. So sometimes you can be very direct. Sometimes it's indirect. Jesus was indirect with this woman. First thing he said to her was, could you give me a drink, please? I mean, it was just very casual, wasn't it? Just a simple thing. Could you give me a drink, please? What harm's in that? Well, a lot, according to her, because you, a Jew, asking me as a Martin for a drink? <laughs> Didn't seem like much, but it was indirect. And just by that casual, indirect approach, it just opened up her whole heart. And sometimes the direct is just, or the thing is just indirect. And before she knew it, Jesus was introducing her to living water. She started off with talking about, give me a drink. And within minutes, they were talking about living water. Or it may be just a simple question. In John chapter 1. Whenever John the Baptist introduced Jesus to his disciples, then it said that then they began to follow Jesus. And two of them came after Jesus. And Jesus turned around and says, what are you seeking? In other words, what are you looking for in life? And they says, where do you live? He says, come and see. <laughs> what are you searching for? And sometimes you may be engaged in conversation with people, and, and, and you may have the opportunity to say, well, what are you looking for in life? What's your purpose? Where are you going in life? And that may lead down to, well, oh, what about the next life? Because they may have their whole life mapped out in this life. Some people are like that, you know. You say, well, okay, just say you do all of those things and succeed in all of those areas. What then? What do you mean, what then? Well, what then? When all that's done and over? What then after you're no longer here? What then? What about the next life? Have you made any plans for that yet? Talked to an undertaker one day down in Portadown, and he told me, he says that i got lots of opportunity. And he says, one day there's a gentleman come into me, fit and healthy, alive, well. But he was making plans for his demise. And uh, was asking me about a plot and all the rest of it. Well, of course, you can't buy plots anymore. He didn't know that then, but you can't buy plots anymore. way well, you used to because the council reckoned to get more money out of you now if you have to wait because of inflation. Some bright spark thought that up. Anyway, he says he was wanting to make plans and arrangements and coffins and all the rest of it. He says he was perfectly healthy and well, but he just wanted, didn't want to leave somebody else the bother of that when he went. So he says, we made arrangements and we worked it all out. And just as he was leaving, he says, sir, can I just stop you for a moment? He says, you know, what you've done today, is very wise, very sensible. He says, you've made arrangements for this life. But he says, tell me, what are your arrangements for the next life? (laughs) Undertaker's a believer. What are your arrangements for the next life? And you know, that was the first time he thought about it. He'd never been asked that before. So he says, he came back in and he sat down he says, that gave me a great opportunity just to share the gospel with a man. You may want to ask somebody, do you go to church on Sunday? And they say, well, are a bunch of hypocrites down there. You say, well, cheer one world and it not make any difference. <laughs> no, I don't say that. No, I don't say that. I wouldn't be very gracious, sure, wouldn't <laughs> But that's the usual yet, isn't it, you know? You could say, well, no hypocrites are going to heaven, so if they're hypocrites, they'll not get to heaven. Next question. <laughs> but even just asking simple thinking, or, hey, how do you think the world's going to end? Because that's a big question in a lot of people's minds. How do you think the world's going to end? Do you think it's going to end? Oh, it'll end sometime. But do you think it'll end in our lifetime? Do you think it can keep going on the way it is? What if Iran gets a nuclear bomb? That'd be a dangerous thing in the Middle East. And if that happens, what do you think else will happen? There's all kinds of ways you can engage people and bring Christ into the conversation. Somebody said, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about a somebody who can save anybody. <laughs> and so, our opportunity, by the grace of God, is coming. There's only three more Sundays, including today, left. Two more after this. Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night talking to Paul again this week. He is absolutely chomping at the bit to come. can hardly wait to get here. He said, David, please, please tell the people to get people to come in that doesn't go to church. He says, I'm up for it. I'm ready. <laughs> and he is. Are we? 79% of people who comes to church came because somebody Invited them to come. They did, didn't walk in. And so on that weekend, let's make the invitation. Johnny will have the cards for you next week. they are getting prepared right now. Lovely little invitation that you can give to some friends or loved ones. Johnny Brady, Johnny's not here today. Johnny, some of the young ones are going to put them out around the doors as well. Now, it's good to put them out around the doors. Thank God for that. You never know, but the most successful way will be us inviting. That will be the key to the whole thing. Amen. So are you up for it? I don't know where you are now. Look at this. Oh Oh man. Are you up for it? Well, that's even a wee bit better. Wouldn't it be wonderful? To see men and women come to Christ. That's Jesus' passion that's why he died It's what he gave his life for that's it in a nutshell and that's why we've got to go tell and then come see just say come see you say well Paul James is a kind of a strange big man he might jump off that platform and blow his nose with his big hanky <laughs> doesn't matter about any of those things if you pray they come and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit comes it wouldn't matter The Holy Spirit's going to do the work. Amen? You young ones, invite your friends. Get them to come. You really think you're mad anyway because you go to church twice on Sunday and maybe during the week they just think you're bunkers. So just invite them along and allow the Lord to get a grip of their life. Be wonderful. Amen? Let's pray.